just to mention again all, all four. So the first being the body, the, the, the physical, material body. And then the second, feeling. Feelings, pleasant, unpleasant, and neither pleasant nor unpleasant. So first of all, it's kind of very... Um, you know, the gross physical body, very tangible, and then feelings which are, are quite, of, they can be quite overwhelming, but you couldn't kind of, you know, you can't pin them down in the way that you, it feels like you can with the body. And then the, the fourth foundation is the foundation of mind or mind states. Sorry, it's the third sister. Oh, sorry, I, I meant to say third. Thank you. I'm a little bit tired actually tonight. So the third foundation, thanks, is uh, the foundation of mind, of mind states. And the fourth is of objects of mind, which is also called dhammas. So in the Pali, the word dhamma is used for the teachings of the Buddha and the, the truth of the way things are. And it's also used for, um, as a term for phenomena, things. So in this in this context, with the fourth foundation of mindfulness, it's uh, it's kind of objects of mind, or, or what is the content of the mind, um, and the 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 satipatthana, which is the Pali for the four establishments of mindfulness, is said to be the direct path to awakening. Sometimes it's translated as the, as the only path, but that's pretty much pretty likely not what it means, but the direct path. So if you practice the four establishments of mindfulness in, in everything that arises, which is not so easy to do, then uh, the, the sutta that is passed down from the Buddha says, uh, within, if you do that, uh, if you practice the four establishments of mindfulness both day and night, for seven years you will become fully enlightened. And then he says, well, not just seven years, but seven months, you'll become fully enlightened. And not just seven months, but seven weeks, if you practice it day and night, you will become fully enlightened. And not just seven weeks, but seven days. So if you practice the four establishments of mindfulness for seven days, day and night, you will realize full awakening. This is in the suttas. So in the Pali canon, it says in this in this way, and then there are there are contemporary there are other <clears throat> um, suttas that have been handed down that are, were written down at the same time in China as the Pali canon was written down in Sri Lanka. So they're, they're equally uh, authentic as as much as we can know. And uh, in one of those suttas, it says, and and even if you um, if you practice the four foundations or four establishments of mindfulness in the morning, then by the evening you'll be a little bit closer. And if you practice in the evening, then by the next morning you'll be a little bit closer. It's kind of sweet, isn't it? I like that, uh, that part. So uh, it's really uh, a practice that, that is, it isn't leading us onward, but it's leading us directly back to the truth of what's happening here and now. And, and through practicing this, awareness and mindfulness of, of what is arising here and now, where 
we're, we're cutting through all of the proliferation of the mind. We're seeing clearly the proliferation of the mind and, and we're coming back to what's actually going on here. And uh, so the you know, awaken, awakening, enlightenment, it, sometimes we think of enlightenment as some kind of glorious, you know, it's all going to be stars and, and uh, you know, floating on pink clouds with lotuses blossoming everywhere, you know. But awakening is about awakening to the truth of the way things are, to what is. So uh, this, this practice of the establishments of mindfulness is, is bringing us directly into contact with that truth. And it may not seem like much, you know, being aware of the body as flesh, skin, flesh and bones, you know, it doesn't sound super liberating. But it's cutting through the, the um, infatuation with the body or the aversion to the body, depending on which way you're leaning. And it's just seeing it as it is, directly. And uh, with feelings, if you've been practicing that today, you'll notice it's very different, you know, being caught up in feelings, being, being following a storyline about a feeling, and it's just knowing painful feeling. And maybe if you've done the, the body scans, you'll notice, you know, maybe before you did the scan, they might, you might be feeling, oh, my back hurts, or my knee's painful, and, and the, there's a kind of an over, the, the pain is overwhelming the mind. And then when you do the scan, you realize, you know, you're kind of up in the head and you're going down, it's, not, it's neutral, neutral, a little bit of pleasant, neutral, neutral, maybe a little pleasant, neutral, neutral, painful, neutral, 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 painful, 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 neutral, 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 painful. You know, you might notice that there's, the painful is actually not the predominant experience, that the neutral is the predominant experience, we just don't notice, we just ignore it, we overlook it. So, uh, so when we start to practice in this way, then we see more clearly what is going on, and we're not we're not uh, taken hostage by the most the strongest sensation that arises. But if we don't train our minds, then that's what happens. We just go straight to the most the strongest sensation, whether it's pleasant or painful. So we're we're getting a. a, a more true overview of what is going on and we're learning how to be with the ordinary profoundly ordinary being with feeling as it is and, uh, and then the, the third foundation of being a mind or mind states so this is just checking in and seeing you know, what state is the mind in right now so we tend to, you know, the mind states arise and they're, they're, you know, we operate from those mind states without actually knowing what they are. So uh, I, I suffered from depression a lot um, from my kind of early teens through, not quite sure when it slowed down, but somewhere in my 30s. Um, and uh, it's not something that I experience very much these days, but it was a very, very strong. And so the depression would, would come and descend, and then the mind would be overwhelmed with depression. And it would be really difficult to do anything, you know, and you, you kind of, later on I knew the things you should do, like get up and move, and, but the depression kind of you know, stops you doing it. You, can't, you know what to do, you can't do it. And, um, and before I understood what it was, you know, I was a depressed person who was very unhappy. 
And then gradually um, I started to recognize that it came, it would be there for some time, might be sometimes months you know, or longer, and then it would, it would lift, for, even just for a little while. And then it would, then it would come back again, and it would be there for however long, and then it would lift again. So at one point I, I recognized, oh, you know, even though when you're in it, it feels like it's there forever, and it feels like it's who and what I am, when it lifts, you know, it actually it changes. It's not permanent. So that was really helpful. So, that, so then, then it wasn't so scary to be present with the mind state as it came. So now we've got, got to recognize it as like the weather, actually. <coughs> a big, dark cloud that would come over. I could see it coming. Oh, here it comes, here it comes. And then it would descend. It would descend on the, on the mind. And then it would be just like being under a rain cloud. You know, it's, it's heavy, it's wet, it's difficult. You can't do anything much. It kind of feels a bit life-threatening. And, uh, and then it would be like that for a while. Sometimes a long while, sometimes, sometimes short. And then it would change. And uh, so, you know, also my teacher, I spoke, spoke with Ajahn Sumedho about it. I was very concerned that maybe I'm, you know, am I bipolar? I keep getting, you know, I'm either high or I'm low. And, this is a long time ago, and uh, he said, "Just, just practice mindfulness. Just be mindful of, of the depression. Just be mindful of, of when it when it arises, when it's there, when it passes, and what's there afterwards." And he was so confident in, in you know he know he knew me pretty well, and he was so kind of confident in like just just watch it, you know, that I did that, and it you know I could say it took years for it to shift <laughs> fully, but. Um, that's what I would do, be mindful of the mind state before and then mindful of the, of the depression coming over, descending, the, the experience of being depressed, mind. And, and I would recognize, oh, because there's depression, I can't do what I could do before, when I wasn't depressed. You know, not to expect myself to be able to function in the same way when that cloud is there raining on, on everything then I could, if the sun was shining, it can't. So then there'd be this sort of understanding of like, okay, that's, it's like this, and it has this effect, and it limits me in this way. And, I, and so I shouldn't try and do too much while it's there, and get, frustrate myself, but more just like manage, you know, get by, and know it, and know it, and know it, and watch it change. So, you know, see, is it, is it, is it, are there moments when it's lighter, moments when it's heavier? Is it there first thing in the morning? Does it come in a little bit later? You know, just, just really getting to know it. And then gradually then it would, it would lift. And the more attention I could put on it without becoming it, becoming depressed. I mean, I was depressed, but without becoming a depressed person, if you understand what I mean, then the less uh, power it had over me. So each time it would come, it would you know, still keep coming back, but it wouldn't stay for so long. Because, because it's like, I, I could see it, I knew what it was, I knew how it came, I knew it would stay for a while, I knew it would go away, it didn't have the same power. So gradually, gradually over time, it stopped coming around. And uh, maybe a little bit, it might get a little, little bit, not once in a while now. And I, and I know it so well, it's like, oh, here it comes, and it's just like, just a little bit, and it'll, it'll descend, and it'll be like, oh yeah, there's that heavy, 
can't quite think straight, can't quite manage well experience, and then, and then it changes. So that's, that's knowing a mind state, state of mind. It could also be joyful mind. The mind you know, just, just noticing, is, is the mind open, joyful? And what we tend to do is like, oh, it's so great, you know, I want to do something good, you know. And that's okay, but then we're, we're just sort of tumbling into that mindset, we're not aware of what's going on. And sometimes when the mind's joyful, we can do really stupid things, you know. <laughs> so uh, it's good to, to know, <coughs> know what state the mind is in. So the Buddha gives a little list, as, uh, you know, there are many lists in the suttas. And um, I mentioned those Chinese, they're called the Agamas, Chinese um, parallel teachings. And um, this list that I'm going to read out is, is, a, is like a cross-reference of those three and what's common in all three. So uh, it says, Know the lustful mind as lustful, and the mind without lust as a mind without lust. <coughs> know the angry mind as angry, and the mind without anger as without anger. Know the deluded, this is the really difficult one, know the deluded mind as deluded, and the mind without delusion as without delusion. Know the distracted mind as distracted, and the mind without distraction as without distraction. And then it goes into um, states that are, that are like wholesome states that arise through meditation practice. Know the great mind as great, and the mind that is not great as not great. You have to interpret it what makes sense to you. Know the concentrated or collected mind as collected, and the mind that is not collected as not collected. And know the liberated mind as liberated, and the mind that is not liberated as not liberated. So this is the list that he gives. and. Uh, one, one thing that would be easy to, easy to miss is that we, we always look at the, what is, you know, like, so there's a, um, the mind is lustful, and it's like, oh, <coughs> we, we become caught up in, in the lustful mind state. Um, so, uh, so we need, okay, maybe that's not a good place to start, but... Um, so that we know the mind that's lustful, but, and then the, the lust at some point is going to pass. Particularly if we use the, a super practice that we were using, speaking about earlier on. And then to know the mind without lust as without lust. I mean, how much of the time have you been sitting here? I mean, it may be you've been sitting here with a mind filled with lust 24-7, it's possible. But it's quite possible that it hasn't been like that. And then how much attention has been paid to that? Have you noticed? Have you been able to appreciate the mind without lust, as without lust? Has it ever occurred to you to think, oh, there's no lust present right now. The mind is free from lust at this moment. It's a good thing. Or, you know, knowing the mind with anger or the mind without anger. So anger arises Something happens, anger arises, and then, you know, we either justify it or we feel bad about it. And, and then it's there for a while. Sometimes it's seconds, you know, or minutes. Rarely it's hours, it could be. It's kind of hard to keep it going for hours. 
but it might be. And then it passes. So how much of the time has been without anger? Even if anger has arisen, you look at it over a day, proportionally how much time has been spent in anger? Probably little. And, and much time spent without anger. So it's learning to see that we're not only focusing on the things that we could call wrong, even though they're not necessarily wrong, they're just, they're just uh, the, the kind of habits of mind. That they can be harmful, they can harm us, they can harm others. Um, but we, and we focus in on them. Oh, I had this angry thought, and I was just caught up in anger. And, and then we add on top of it more and more negativity because we've identified with it, we've thought it's who and what we are. And we haven't really noticed that there's been this, this like hours when there was no anger present. So uh, the Buddha's really, you know, he's encouraging know when, the, know when the unwholesome mind states are present because we don't want to be acting from them, speaking from them. We want to take care of the mind, you know. But uh, also know when they're not present so that you can enjoy the freedom of a mind without anger, or a mind without lust, or a mind without distraction. And then there are the meditation states, so the mind that's great, so sometimes the mind can open and expand, and you just have this, this sense of kind of you, know, you might be sitting and you feel like the, your mind fills the whole room and it's or even further and it's just like, oh, this is nice. Instead of it being this little squashed experience of in the head, it's, the mind is, is, is expensive. So then you know that and then the tendency is to, to think, oh, I've had this really good meditation experience and it must be really special. And, but no, just know the expanded mind or the great mind as great or the expanded mind as expanded. That's all it is. You know it and you know that it changes. You let it go. You know the concentrated mind as concentrated. I prefer the word collected. You know the collected mind as collected. So again you can spend a whole retreat just trying to get concentration because you know it's going to have that nice side effect. A pleasant feeling in the mind and, and uh, sometimes the mind is collected and sometimes it isn't you can't force it there are a few people who have a really natural tendency they can just drop in to uh, deep concentration and they are few and far between and they're fortunate but not to, not to try and always be looking for getting a concentrated state but to know Sometimes when the conditions come together, the mind relaxes, it settles, it deepens, it, it falls into a state of collectedness. And, that, and it's pleasant and it's wholesome. And there are times when it's not that way. So just knowing it for what it is, knowing without judging. And then knowing the liberated mind is liberated. So that can be the ultimately liberated mind. Be wonderful if somebody gets to know that on this retreat, but it may be also um, there's quite a number of times in the suttas the Buddha speaks about uh, liberation of mind through the Brahma Viharas, so through loving, through metta, 
through um, benevolence, through karuna, compassion, through um, mudita, um, being glad for others, good, the good fortune of others, and through upeka, uh, equanimity or equipoise. So that's also the same word is used, liberation. Uh, vimuti is used for those those qualities too. And they don't, it doesn't mean ultimate liberation, you become an enlightened arahant, but it means the mind is temporarily liberated from the, what oppresses it, and it's, it's open, expansive, loving, peaceful. So when that happens, to know it for what it is, to enjoy it, it's wholesome, it's beautiful, and, and it's impermanent, it's conditioned. So, you know, we might have those experiences where the mind is really open and, and, and expansive and, and beautiful, and then it changes, you know, then we forget. We go get involved in something, we forget, and it, it comes back to the little mind again. Or something happens that upsets us and it gets small again, you know. And so not to attach to the, to the temporary liberation, but to know it for what it is. Know it's, it's beautiful, it's wholesome, it's, it's um, expansive. It's conditioned by our attention and intention. And when that attention and intention isn't there, when the conditions aren't coming together to support it, it, it it's not, it goes away. So, uh, getting to know the mind as it is in, in any given moment. And it's not, you know, we use these terms like, I'm a, it's, it has its value, you know, I'm a greed type, or I'm an aversive type. And, you know, it's, it has a value, because we do lean in certain directions. But we can tend to think then, you know, I'm, I'm a greed, because I'm a greed type. I own up, I'm a greedy type. So then we tend to think, I'm a greedy person. And then when we do that, then it's like we're taking what arises in a moment, and maybe arises more, more frequently than other things, and then we take that as a, as, a, as a self, as a continuum. But it isn't continuous, it's, it arises dependent on conditions. So being an aversive type, you know, so aversion is more likely to arise, and uh, but it, but it doesn't mean you're an you're an aversive person. It means there's a tendency to aversion is is quite strong and it arises often, but it just is you know the mind is it just arises in the moment. It's always changing, and we can guide and influence the mind. <coughs> Not, we don't have to be uh, we don't have to be slaves to our mind. We can guide, we can influence when we have tools. Once we have these tools, we, we can start to redirect the mind. So it's a balance between knowing, understanding, letting go, and guiding towards the wholesome. So sometimes all we need to do is just to know. So like for me with the depression, so all I could do is just know this is, this is depressed mind. That's it, I couldn't do more than that. I couldn't like jolly it up, you know, make it go away. It, it, just, just knowing it. And sometimes that awareness is, is, is enough just to stay, to be willing to stay present with the mind state that has arisen. And sometimes we can do something. 
You know, sometimes like lustful mind is very strong, and then we know what happens if we follow the lustful mind, and, and we don't want to go that direction. So we start to contemplate the true nature of the body, this body. What is it? It's made up of skin, flesh, bones. We can go into much more detail. <laughs> um, it's uh, it dies, and it's going to die. Is it going to be interesting? At that point, you know, is it attractive when it's dying, uh, or the body of another? You know, just to to reflect on this. Uh, it, might, it, it might be somebody who's very attractive and the prime of their life, and then the, the, it's very interesting and attractive. The minds are very strongly attracted. Then you can reflect on you know what what happens to that body. It gets it ages, it gets weak, it gets sick. And at some point it's going to die. It's the truth of it. So it's, it's cooling. So we can use, you know, we can use skillful means when, when we can. And sometimes just awareness itself is, is enough. So getting to know mind states as mind states rather than as me, as whom, what I am, as what I always do. Oh, there's me being aversive again. Oh, there's me lustful again. I'm a hopeless case. No, it's mind. Lust has arisen in the mind. And body. And, uh, or aversion has arisen in the mind and body. So just knowing it for what it is. So the more identified we are with, with any of this, the more difficult it is to, to get out of the the tangle. And the more we can understand, and I'm not talking about dissociating, it's not about dissociating, it's about knowing. It's like we, we're, we're right in the midst of it and we know it for what it is and it's, and it's changing and it's not who and what I am and it's conditioned. And then there can be a recognition, do I, do I want to keep following this or not? Do I want to keep buying into this or not? We do have a choice. And it's not that we can change it, like I say, with the depression thing, it took years. It's not like I could change it overnight, just because I understood what it was. But it, there was a clear intention, there was a willingness to, to feel. It's a big part of it. Willingness to feel unpleasant feeling. And uh, patience. And uh, a certain level of interest. So if we don't have, if we're not interested, we're going to just let it run its course. But if we're interested in, in finding freedom, then we're willing to turn towards whatever is arising here at any any moment. So with that list, you know, we can see, we can see, we can just check in and see, well, what's going, what's here? Right now, do, you can do it right now. What's here? Is there lust or is there absence of lust? Is there anger or is there absence of anger? Is there distraction or absence of distraction? 
And it's, it's good to notice that we can, we can be really quick, you know, we can go from, if we're not careful, we can go from distraction, so a distracted mind, to I'm such a bad person, I'm always distracted, I, I, I shouldn't be distracted. So we're going straight into aversion. So we've got to be, we've got to be sharp, because the mind is very quick, it's very tricky. And uh, it will it will put layer upon layer of complexity um, if we don't if we're not careful. Um, so we need to be really really clear about what's going on, and, and and we can catch it at any point. So maybe that's happened, you know, distracted, and then and then maybe we you know we get caught into into anger and aversion, and then we're we're, we're hating ourselves for it. And, it's not too late if that's what's happening. It's not too late. It's never too late. Then we catch that. Oh, look at that. Okay. And then we bring mindfulness to what is present here and now. And uh, mindfulness of mind uh, naturally leads on to uh, mindfulness of the mind states or dhammas and again with this um, I just touched on it because I asked she's going to speak a little bit more tomorrow about it in the morning but this cross-referencing of the three three parallel scriptures when you cross-reference all three the the, the, um, the mind states that are common in all three are the five hindrances and the seven factors of awakening. So you'll find those are the only two that are in all three. So the Pali Canon has quite a number of different um, mind objects to, to pay attention to and I always found that really confusing. I always wonder, well, what's that about? It just seems to be like this, this kind of, just sort of everything sort of, just sort of thrown in there. Mm. And I could never quite understand how to practice with it. But once I heard this this um, well, once it was pointed out that you know that if you cross-reference all three, then you'll find it's just these two are common in all of them, which makes it more likely that they were the original, but we don't know for sure. Then that started to make a lot of sense. So you find that the five hindrances, some of them we've already touched on with the mind states. So, so there's uh, the five hindrances: sensual desire. There are five. I love that there are five. You can count them on your hand. Mm -hmm. They're really, really important. <laughs> Thank you. So there's a sensual desire and ill will, um, sleepiness and dullness, and restlessness and agitation or worry, and doubt. So those are the, the five hindrances. And we doubt, doubt. And we put up a, a poster um, above the uh, message board, which has um, a depiction of the of the five hindrances, for, uh, as given in a sutta of, uh, by the Buddha. And that's uh, it's showing bowls of water. So before I go there, actually, I would just would like to say that if you look at those five hindrances, there are, there are two pairs of opposites, and then one that runs around around in circles. So there's sensual desire, wanting to bring in. The, what is pleasant to make oneself feel whole, basically. 
So it's like this, this, this movement of drawing in, wanting. And, this, and there's this, you know, we, we think that if, if only I have that, then I'll be whole, then I'll be complete, and then I'll feel good. And we do feel good for a little while, and then it changes again. And uh, ill will or aversion is the opposite. I don't want it, push it away. I don't want that to be part of me, I don't want to be involved in that. So aversion ill will is the opposite of pushing away. So those are like a pair, wanting and not wanting. And then um, uh, sleepiness and dullness, <laughs> you know, not enough energy. There's not enough energy aroused. And, um, and it points to the, both the body and the mind. So the, the sleepiness is more like the mind and then dullness like the heaviness of the body. Um, and that's, so that's too, not enough energy. And then restlessness and worry, too much energy. Restless, body's restless, the mind's worrying. You know, so that's like there's too much energy. And so we need to, to calm that down. And then doubt, so that they go together like a pair. And then doubt just goes around and around and around and around and around and around, and around, and around endlessly. You may have discovered for yourselves. <laughs> so those are the, the five hindrances. And, and in the, on the wall there, there's the, the poster. It has these images of a bowl of water. And... Uh, it, back in the back in the Buddha's time, people wouldn't have had mirrors very easily. So maybe very wealthy people have had some, maybe some shiny metal or something you could look in. But your average person would not have a mirror, and so uh, a way of, of seeing one's own face would be to look into a bowl of water or a, or a clear pool. So you've got a bowl of, of still water. You look in, and you can see. You know, have I got a spot there? And you know, whatever. Do I, do I look okay? And um, so this is using that, that image of, of uh, the bowl of water like a mirror. And uh, the mind that is overwhelmed with sensual desire is like a bowl of water that has uh, colouring in it, like turmeric or um, some, some... So you're looking in and you're seeing, seeing yourself more yellow or more red or more blue than you actually are. So you're seeing things looking a bit more sensational than they actually are. So that's the mind that's um, affected by sensual desire. So you can't see clearly, you're not seeing things actually truly as they are because it's, there's this, there's this colouring that's, that's distorting the picture. And uh, the mind that is uh, overwhelmed with ill will is like, it's like a bowl of water with a fire under it. <coughs> and the fire is, is, is heated up the water and it's bubbling away. And so you look in and you're going to get splashed with hot water and you're not going to be able to see anything clearly. It's a really good analogy for the mind overwhelmed with anger. And then the mind that is um, over, overwhelmed with sleepiness and dullness, sloth and torpor, is like a bowl where algae has grown over it. It's been sitting stagnant for a long time and it's, it's covered in green algae. So you look in and all you see is the algae. You don't see anything very much. It's just, uh, you can't see the water at all. It's just like, boo. And that's, and it can be like that, you know. The mind feels like it's overwhelmed with, you just can't, it's just overwhelmed with dullness. You know that there's some clarity out there somewhere, but you just can't get there and you're just falling down again to the sleep. And 
So that's um, the image for sloth and torpor, sleepless and dullness. And then the, the image for the restless mind is of a bowl of water that is, that is uh, being blown by the wind. So it's been whipped up, the surface of the water is whipped up by the wind. And so again, he can't see, he's agitated. And I think that's a, that's a useful image of the wind because the, it's also, if there's too much wind element, we, we're up here in our heads getting all agitated. So we need, to, need more grounding, settling. And then the image for the bowl of water, for, the, for doubt, is a bowl of water that's muddy and in a dark place. So you can't see anything, you can't even hardly see the bowl of water. It's muddy and in a dark place. And, uh, and then there's the, bowl, the, the sixth bowl of water on the, on the poster, it's just a clear bowl of water where you can look in and you see your face as it is. And that's the mind that is free of those five hindrances. So they are hindrances, they're not permanent states, they are not who and what we are. They're, they are qualities that, that overwhelm the mind and hinder us, slow us down or pull us off track from the natural awakening that is, or awakenness that is waiting to be realized. And then that clear bowl of water is, is the mind which we may well experience quite often, but overlook the mind that is free from the hindrances. So I'd just like to encourage you um, to know the mind state. And, and the, you know, we might think, well, what's the difference? You know, we talk about lust and anger, and then we talk about sensual desire and ill will. What's the difference? So the, the, the main difference is that when you're, when you're being aware of, of mind, then you're just checking in, what is the mind state right now? And when you're being aware of the hindrances, you're knowing, it's, it's like going into a little bit more detail. So you recognize, say for example, there's um, anger or ill will, and then you, you take an interest, so where did this come from? Where did this start? What, what caused this anger to arise or this ill will to arise? And then how does it feel? What is it like? And then, how can I free my mind from this unpleasant experience? So you're, you're, you're seeing it as it is, and you're seeing what led up to it, and how to get yourself out of it. That's the main difference between those two contemplations. Um, so, you know, the hindrances, they, 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 they come. Sometimes there's one, sometimes there's two. You might even get three at the same time. You know, they come and they take over for a while and then they, they change. And the more skilled we are at knowing them and the more skilled we get in uh, antidotes, which we can speak about tomorrow, antidotes to them, then the, the, more, the less power they have over us. And... Um, also, likewise, the more we get to know that bowl of water that is just a bowl of clear water, just the mind as it is, when the hindrances aren't present, then that, that gets stronger too, that gets stronger. So I'd like to encourage you, and we might bring it up again tomorrow, 
because it's late, people are tired, and maybe sleepiness and dullness might be overwhelming the mind, understandably. Um, so I'd like to encourage you, though, to notice, just to check in from time to time and see, you know, is, is the, you know are there hindrances present? So right now, you can do it right now. You know? And then if they are, know what they are. And if they aren't, if there are no hindrances present, just enjoy that space. It's lovely. And the more we get to know it and enjoy it, the, the more likely we'll experience that. More frequently we'll experience that. Mind that is free from the hindrances. So don't worry if you don't remember everything. And don't feel like you have to do every single thing we're telling you. We're giving a lot of tools today. And it might feel a little overwhelming, but probably there'll be something that really resonates. And then just start there. Work with that. And uh, gradually, gradually we can build up the the repertoire. And... uh, Hopefully during this retreat you will gain confidence in, in your ability to be present with what is and to know what it is and to know how to meet it. And, uh, and that you can take that with you when you leave the retreat and keep practicing with that. Because this is a liberating teaching. So it's a practical teaching. So I offer that tonight, and uh, we're going to do a closing chant, but I also just like to say I hope you sleep, all sleep well tonight. Sleep soundly, and uh, don't be afraid by the early morning. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.